You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Welcome. If you're a guest at South Bay Church, we're, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, come back to see us every week. And we're continuing this sermon series that we've entitled The Elephant in the Room. And we be, we've been doing this series because there are a lot of uncomfortable topics out there today that, that we can be hesitant to talk about. And so far in the series, we've talked about politics. Uh, that was an interesting topic this week, wasn't it? Um, sexuality. We've talked about anger, we've talked about pornography, certainly not your typical church topics that you would talk about at, at church, but we believe it's important to acknowledge these elephants in the room because these are issues that, that have a profound impact on us and, and also the people that we interact with every day. So, so it's important that we understand God's perspective on some of these big topics. In 2 Timothy, oh, I'm not, I'm not on, here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So as we go about our life, we, we run into people that do not always have the same perspective that we do, Right? on various topics, especially some of these big controversial topics. But followers of Jesus should not argue. We should not quarrel. Uh, and by the way, that includes on Facebook. We're not supposed to argue and quarrel on Facebook. But we should be able to gently teach and instruct others what God says in his word and what God's perspective is. And today, hopefully we're going to use God's word to take down and skin yet another elephant. And on November 8th, California voters are going to be making a decision on Proposition 64. And if you're not familiar with Prop 64, I'll read a brief summary of what it's about. If approved by voters, Prop 64 will legalize the recreational use of marijuana for adults aged 21 years or older. Smoking would be permitted in a private home or at a business licensed for on-site marijuana consumption. Smoking would remain illegal while driving a vehicle, anywhere smoking tobacco is, and in all public places. Possession on the grounds of a school, daycare center, or youth center, while children are present, would remain illegal. That's good. An individual would be permitted to grow up to six plants within a private home as long as the area is locked and not visible from a public place. So that's a brief synopsis of Prop 64, and most of the polls are showing that it's very likely, very likely that Prop 64 is going to be approved by California voters. Uh, Ballotpedia.org says that the yes on 64 campaign, those that are in favor of legalization of you know, recreational pot, have raised over $18 million to see this initiative pass. And by contrast, the no on 64 campaign has only raised about $800,000. So what does that tell you? It tells me that you know, if you have 25 times as much money as your opponent, you're likely going to defeat them. And I think it's just a matter of time before smoking recreational marijuana is legal in the state of California. And as you probably know, medicinal marijuana is already legal in California. And you may have noticed a proliferation of these pot dispensaries in the area. Hopefully you don't frequent those. 
but I've been noticing them pop up all over. They're, they're uh, you know, kind of characterized by that green cross. If you see the green cross up, you know what that is. And if you haven't seen them, just drive down Gaffney Street on San Pedro. You, you'll see quite a few of them. And four other states, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, have already went beyond medical marijuana, and they've legalized recreational pot. And so they've really already paved the way for California. So marijuana is a huge business. It's a growing business. It's about get, to get a lot bigger. And also our country's attitude about marijuana has, is really changing. Um, just a few stats to bring that home that I found. Legal marijuana sales in the U.S. in 2016 are estimated to be $5.4 billion. And that's just legalized sales. I mean, that's just a small fraction of what we know what's really going on, because a lot of the sales are still illegal around the country. But $5.4 billion already, and that is amazing when you consider legal sales didn't really exist a few years ago. Um, another statistic is, you know, the estimated legal marijuana sales in the U.S. by 2020. So how is this going to grow as more and more states legalize? They're estimated that legal sales are going to grow about 30% per year over the next five years. So that would take us to $22 billion in legal marijuana sales by 2020. So it's a big business. Um, another statistic, the estimated state and local tax revenue from legal marijuana sales. Because you all know, once it's legalized, what does the government get to do? They get to tax it. Absolutely. So the gov government sees a windfall in this. If all the states legalize this plan, the government would be facing state and local governments another $3.1 billion in tax revenues. You think they'd like to get that? I think so. And then let's think about the, the attitudes and how those are changing with people. The percentage of Americans who have actually tried marijuana. Now, this is a 2012 study, but, but I would argue that since it's been legalized in more states, it's probably a higher figure now. But in 2012, 49%, so about half of all Americans have tried marijuana. Oops, we went past my other stats there. Let me, sorry about that. Had a couple more I wanted to show you. So the percentage of Americans who would like to see medical pot legalized, according to a CPS News poll, 84%. So people are very much in favor of the medicinal use of marijuana. And then lastly, the percentage of people that are in favor of legalizing recreational pot in a Gallup poll that was done this year. What do you think that is? It is 58%. So almost 60% of people want to see recreational pot legalized. So the attitudes are certainly changing. We know, it's a, it, we know it's an enormous business. But just think about the implications for a minute of legalized marijuana, recreational marijuana, pot for fun, essentially, is what we're saying it is. I mean, can you imagine seeing advertising for marijuana on TV? flip on the commercial, there's a pot commercial, or you go down the, the 405 and there's the billboard, you know, with the pot sign. That could be legal. I can already hear my seven-year-old asking, why are those people so happy? <laughs> you know, what are, they, what are they smoking? Imagine answering those questions. I mean, imagine more traffic deaths, you know, from people that are driving while high. Imagine your kids playing at their friend's house and, oh, there's marijuana plants growing in the garden. Imagine them seeing that and trying to explain that to the kids. You know, imagine how, you know, just the influence and the violence of the drug cartels could, could spread with their activities becoming legitimate. They estimate that's going to be a, an interesting issue as well. So all you need to do is follow the money because there's just too much money at stake, in my opinion, for legalization not to happen. I mean, just think about this huge windfall that, that the industry is going to get, the marijuana industry and the government, uh, when California legalizes. They're saying California is going to be a game changer. 
because it's such a huge market. And it's my friend Paul Rodriguez with the LAPD. I don't know if Paul's here today. But he's fond of saying that where there's a demand, there will always be a supply, either legally or illegally. And let me just say this. Just because something is legal, it doesn't mean that it's okay for followers of Jesus to engage in that activity, right? Many sins are perfectly legal. Adultery is legal. Sexual immorality is legal. Pornography with adults is legal. And, and certainly if marijuana is legal, that does not mean that God is okay with it. But that said, it's not helpful either to have a condemning attitude towards people that, that are using marijuana or any other drug. Uh, we have to be careful as followers of Jesus not to be like the Pharisees and say, oh, well, I thank God that I'm not like those sinners. Remember that? But well, what we do need to do, I believe, is understand their perspective. Why are they doing this? And then, and then lovingly and gently instruct them with a godly perspective. Um, because we need God's truth in this particular issue, I think, because there's so much opinion out there. There's so many personal opinions about marijuana, and frankly, there's a lot of spin out there as well from economic interests that want to see this thing pass. And I think if we want to have effective conversations about marijuana, alcohol, other drugs, I think we first have to understand why do people use these drugs? What, what, what's driving this? And we also need to understand, I believe, the truth about what the drug actually does to us. And most importantly, I think we need to give people hope. You know, hope that there's a better way forward. And so the title of my sermon today, and the pun is intended, is A Higher Calling. I was trying to think of a creative title. And so we'll address those three questions from a biblical perspective. Why do people use this drug? What does the drug really do to you? Is it really the safe drug that it's made out to be? And then finally, we'll talk about what is the higher calling. Let's pray. Uh, as we get started. Father, uh, I just pray today that you will give us insights uh, into how you think about this. What is in your word about this topic, God? And, and we just need wisdom. We need wisdom, Father. We pray that you'll give it to us on these controversial topics like marijuana. Uh, we know it's going to get more and more um, you know, front and center and something that we're going to have to talk about. And I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit would speak today so that, so that we go away uh, just with greater understanding of the issue, greater discernment um, about how to talk about it, and, and convictions about how the Bible addresses this. And I just pray that we're all prepared to answer respectfully and lovingly what your perspective is. And most importantly, give us hope as well, God, for there is a better way forward. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first off, why do people use marijuana or any other drug for that matter? You know, that is a very complex question. <laughs> Another complex question that I'm totally unqualified to address. So full disclosure, we have experts that study addiction. They study it for years, and they could literally talk for days about why people use drugs. And every person has a different situation. Every situation is unique with every individual. But having said that, I think we should start by looking at drug use from a spiritual perspective. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, For you all know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So, so using drugs like marijuana is a way to find good feelings, to find assurance, to find comfort outside of your relationship with God. That's what it is. And, and the scripture reminds us that, 
trying to use silver or gold or drugs or anything else in the place of Jesus, that, that is an empty way of life. It's painful. It's hopeless. And it ultimately leads to death if you continue down that path. And, and you know, if not physical death, certainly spiritual death. And, and that empty way of life is handed down to us, the scripture says, from our ancestors. I mean, you can trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve because they tried to find happiness their own way. They didn't want to believe what God really had in store, and they didn't want to obey God. And so we try to find happiness our own way. You know, we're descended from that stock. And in doing so, we reject God as we try to seek fulfillment from the wrong things. And true hope and fulfillment will never come from perishable things. It won't come from amassing more silver or gold. You're not going to get happiness and fulfillment from finding the perfect relationship. You're not going to get it from owning the perfect home. It won't come from getting the perfect job. It won't come from sports. Nothing against sports, but you're not going to get the perfect you know, fulfillment from it. And it certainly won't come from getting the perfect drug-induced high. Because running after those things, it really only brings more and more emptiness. And if you've read about King Solomon, you know, you'll, you'll kind of get the idea that, that this, this king in the Old Testament, the son of David, he, he was perhaps the richest and certainly the wisest. We're told the wisest man in all history. And yet Solomon repeatedly says in the book of Ecclesiastes, Everything is what? Meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. And that comes from a man who on the surface had it all. He had the houses. He had the money. He had the wives. He had it all. Yet he was still unfulfilled. True hope and fulfillment can only come from embracing God and and what he did for you. And this empty way of life without God, without Jesus, brings, in many ways, it brings torment. And in their pain and emptiness, people often hurt one another, don't they? We hurt one another. The wounds that we give people, the abuse that we give people and that we receive from other people, what that can cause us to do sometimes is flee reality. We want to flee reality. We want to escape. We want to escape the pain. We want to escape the spiritual emptiness that we feel. And drugs like marijuana can briefly facilitate that, that escape. And then besides escaping pain, which I think is one reason we use drugs... Another reason why you see drug, I think drug use can be driven by the fear of not fitting in, especially if you're a younger person. The fear of being rejected or ridiculed by your peers can be a very powerful motivator, can't it, if we're honest? The fear of rejection can lead you to do things that you know are wrong. And that was certainly the case with me. So I'm going to start sharing my story with you guys a little bit again today. Starting all the way back in my teen years, in my early teens, I did have a conviction that using drugs and alcohol was wrong because fortunately my dad sat down with me at a young age and he said, hey, look, you know, we have a history of alcoholism in our family. And if you start drinking, you're at high risk of becoming an alcoholic yourself. And I'm glad he told me that. It stuck with me for for a while. And I, I avoided using drugs and alcohol for a while. But as I got into high school, I started to develop a romantic interest in one of my classmates. And she had had a pretty rough childhood. I mean, she uh, actually began to escape herself using alcohol at a very young age. And by the time I was 15, I started to hear about her, this girl, and also a lot of the popular kids that were getting drunk at parties most weekends. I was hearing about that. And, and I started to feel left out that I wasn't at the party. I wasn't being invited. I wasn't having fun with them. And that soon escalated into the, the popular kids starting to make fun of me that I wasn't going to these parties. 
And there was nothing I wanted more than to impress this girl that I had a crush on. And so when I was 15, uh, my parents went out of town for the weekend, and they made the mistake of leaving my brother and I home alone uh, for a few days. And I lied to them, and I held a party in our home. And my friends still talk about this party to this day. <clears throat> it was the mother of all high school parties. It's crazy. We literally had like a shuttle set up so that we could shuttle kids in so we wouldn't have a lot of cars on the street. We didn't want our neighbors to see it. It was crazy. But the girl that I liked was there at the party, this girl that I had a crush on. And, and people had, of course, brought alcohol to the party, and she was drinking. So I made the decision that night to join in. And that was the first time I got drunk on alcohol. And through the rest of high school and college, that pattern of drunkenness only got worse. And I felt, you know, drinking to me numbed my anxiety and numbed my insecurities, but it also helped me to feel like I was part of the popular crowd who partied. And that felt good. And in college, you know, binge drinking became part of my lifestyle. You know, I, I sometimes would drink until I literally passed out and I couldn't remember what happened. And then one night I was drinking in my room with some friends, and I remember one of them took out a joint. Some marijuana. And that joint was passed around the room from person to person, and then it came to me. And that moment was a real crossroads for me, because up to that point, I really had never, I had never smoked marijuana up to that point. And at that very second, I was kind of like, I knew it was a crossroads. I was like, am I going to do this or not? And I was already drunk from drinking beer, and everyone was looking at me to see if I would take a hit. All eyes were fastened on me. And I knew that if I didn't take the hit, I would be ridiculed by my buddies. And so to my shame, I got my first high from marijuana that night. I didn't make the right decision. And I'll admit, it did feel temporarily good to get high, uh, but it felt even better to be accepted by my peers. And after that, I smoked weed uh, periodically throughout college, uh, and, and I eventually got kind of freaked out by pot because several times when I smoked it, I, I literally felt, I felt very paranoid. I felt like everybody in the room was out to like get me. And it was just, I just freaked out. It was weird. And once I had a really scary high where I was actually hallucinating. And I remember it was, a, it was a summer night and I looked up at this big full moon and the full moon had a face and it was laughing, this evil laugh at me. I'm serious. It was freaky. And I found out later that that pot was laced with other drugs of some type. But that night, I saw a new level of darkness. It scared me. It did. It scared me, and I, and I didn't want to go there again. And, and in hindsight, you know, I used alcohol and marijuana to win approval and, and to seek happiness. And, and I wanted to be accepted by that girl I liked and by my peers. And I didn't know at the time that what I was doing is only going to lead to a lot more pain and a lot more emptiness because I think, I look back, I think I really hit bottom when I was a senior in college. And I had dated that high school sweetheart throughout most of my college years. And by my senior year, she decided to permanently break off a relationship. She was seeing someone else. And, and my drinking got much worse after that. I was really uh, not doing well. And one night, I was actually arrested for being intoxicated in public. And I spent the night in jail. And, and I just remember laying in the jail cell wondering how I had let my alcohol use get to that point. And what happened is I lost my driver's license for six months after that because I, was, uh, I wasn't driving drunk, but I had passed out in my vehicle uh, drunk, and the cops found me there. So they, in Iowa, they take your license away if that happens. 
And that was a blemish on my record that followed me for years into my corporate career because I had to disclose all of that criminal history and all my investment licenses that I had to get and all my employers saw it and I had to explain it. So it followed me. Um, and teens, if you haven't already, you're gonna come to that same fork in the road decision that, that I came to in high school. The beer or the joint or the party drug or something's gonna be offered to you if it hasn't already. And, and unlike me, I hope that you make the right decision at that moment of truth. And you, that you don't let your, your, your fear of not fitting in or your pain or your anxi anxiety compel you to do something that you know is wrong and to seek comfort from the wrong thing. You know, in 1 Peter 4, I love how Peter lays this out. He nails it. This is what I love about the Bible. I mean, because Peter says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Your peers will be surprised if you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they will heap abuse on you. And I saw that scripture pay, play out in my own life. Some of you probably have too. But your peers feel better about their own sin when they see you doing what they're doing. And when you do the right thing, what happens? They're convicted by their sin, and some of them will persecute you for doing the right thing. Just, that's just the way it is. The Bible says it's going to happen. And I wish I could, say, I could say that that peer pressure stops after high school and college, but I don't think it does. You know, I, I became a Christian at age 25, so I was already well into my working career a few years. And as, I, as a Christian, you know, people could remember, my coworkers could remember what I was like before I was a Christian, you know, and they... they would make fun of me when they didn't see me getting wasted anymore uh, at the work events. And they knew the old Mark who used to drink heavily and, and, and they heaped abuse on me when I didn't drink. But eventually, after a few years, they, they, they came to respect me. Uh, most of them came to respect me uh, because I wasn't compromising on, on my beliefs. And, and I learned the hard way that, that it's much better to be respected than to be popular. And, and young people, that's a good question to ask yourself when you're facing a decision to fit in. Are you trying to be popular or are you trying to be respected? Because if you make the right decision, you might be persecuted in the short run, but in the long run, people will respect you for making the right decision. So Peter reminds us that we have to give an account to the Almighty God about how we live. And trying to make our emptiness and our anxieties and our hurts and our, you know, if trying to make those things go away with marijuana or any other drugs is, is what the Bible calls detestable idolatry. You're seeking meaning and you're seeking comfort from things besides God. And that, by definition, is idolatry. So, so to me, what's so insidious about drug use, what's so, uh, in some ways, paradoxical about drug use, is that the very thing that brings you temporary escape and pleasure is also the thing that destroys you. And that leads me to the second question that I want to talk about, which is, what exactly does marijuana do to you? And we're going to spend some time on this little excerpt from 1 Corinthians, because I think it's a really interesting scripture where, where Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. 
I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. We may soon have the right, if you're over 21, to smoke recreational weed. But having the right to do something doesn't mean that it's beneficial. There's a general notion, I think, today that, that marijuana is a relatively harmless drug and that you can't get addicted to it and that it actually might be beneficial in some ways to your health. And you hear a lot today about the medicinal properties of pot. And it's true that there are some specific compounds found in the cannabis plant that actually have been used in, in FDA-approved drugs for over 20 years. And, and, you know, doctors continue to discover what may be legitimate uses of the cannabis plant. So I'm not going to stand here and say today that there's nothing beneficial that comes from the cannabis plant. Uh, for example, far be it from me to, to question a cancer patient who is advised by his attending physicians that he should use marijuana for appetite or for pain or whatever. You know, that's, that to me, okay, if your doctors legitimately say you should do that, that's okay. But, but using some of the compounds from marijuana for legitimate medical purposes is way different than smoking it to get high because you want to get high. And I'm sorry, there are other ways to treat a headache <laughs> or anxiety besides getting high on weed. So remember, you know, that there are special interest groups out there that have a huge economic incentive for you to believe that marijuana is the miracle drug. And when you believe that, guess what? You'll buy, exactly, they'll get rich. You buy their product. And actually, there's a history in our country of positioning things that are unhealthy as healthy in order to sell more of it. <laughs> Now, this is funny, as I was doing some research. Do you know that cigarettes were once positioned as healthy? It's hilarious. I mean, you can just Google healthy cigarettes, and all these ads pull up, like hundreds of ads that they used to have on cigarettes. Now, all the way to your left, that goes back, I think, around to the turn of the century. Dr. What is it? Dr. Batty's asthma cigarettes. I've got to get closer to read this. It's, it's to treat asthma, hay fever, health, uh, no, breath. Foul breath. Oh, yeah, foul breath. So cigarettes treating foul breath, seriously? Diseases of the throat, head colds, canker sores. And I love, I don't know if you can see the footnote. Can you see it? Not recommended for children under six. That's good. And then a little later, you had this camel, this camel ad. of a, They hired this Olympian to endorse it, right? It's like, I smoke camel because it, it's a great way to ease strain and tension says this Olympic athlete, and it helps my digestion. And then you have, you have a doctor over here saying, smoke the fresh cigarette, the fresh and healthy one. My doctor uses it, right? So it's crazy. You can't do that anymore, but that's what used to happen. There's a history of positioning how the healthy things is healthy. It's another example would be, you know, is a steady diet of little chocolate donuts healthy? You know, let's ask this Olympic gold medalist. John Belushi is on his way to a gold medal in the decathlon. They're setting the bar at seven feet. Here's his approach. And he's got it! Belushi's won the gold. Now he's going for the world's record. He's making his move. They're in the final turn. He's kicking it in. He's got it! I logged a lot of miles training for that day, and I downed a lot of donuts, little chocolate donuts. They taste good, and they've got the sugar I need to get me going in the morning. That's why little chocolate donuts have been on my training table since I was a kid. 
chocolate donuts, the donuts of champions. All right. We wouldn't trust tobacco companies that tell us that cigarettes are healthy, would we? We wouldn't trust a food company that tells us little chocolate donuts are healthy. Why would we then trust the marijuana industry when they tell us that marijuana is the miracle drug? We should smell a rat. And, and we have to look at the facts. Now, I am no brain surgeon by any means. I killed way too many of my own brain cells in college for that. But I've looked at some of the research from people who are much smarter than me on this topic. And, and if you want to fact check me, go to www.drugabuse.gov and you'll see it all out there. Dr. Nora Volkov, MD, is the executive director of, of the National Institute on Drug Addiction. And she lists several of the well-studied, well-documented effects of using marijuana. And back to that scripture, not everything is beneficial, right? I want you to tell me today if these effects of marijuana, we're going to look at five of them. I want you to tell me if these are beneficial, okay? So the first one, the first effect of marijuana, marijuana impairs short-term memory and judgment. And so that means that that pot will affect your performance at school or at work or whatever you're doing. Because guess what? You need judgment and you need short-term memory to be effective. That also means smoking weed will seriously impair your ability to drive an automobile. And you can easily kill yourself or other people when you're driving while you're high on pot. In fact, I remember when I was in college, I was driving on some rural Iowa road in the middle of the night and I was high. Unfortunately, they didn't have Uber in rural Iowa in the 90s, so don't be judging. But I was convinced, I looked down at my speedometer, I was convinced I was going 65 miles an hour. I could have swore I was going 65 miles an hour, and I looked at my speedometer, and I'm going 15 miles an hour <laughs> down this road. And I'm like, that's impossible. I, I'm going 60. And I looked around, and I, I just saw my judgment was all out of whack. I didn't know even how fast I was going. Thank God I was in Iowa and not on a California freeway driving 15 miles an hour. So you tell me, is it beneficial to have impaired memory and, and, and judgment? Is that beneficial? I don't think so. Second documented use. Teens, this is for you. Marijuana use in teens negatively impacts your brain development. Now, Older people like me, if you grew up in the 80s, you'll remember Nancy Reagan had this anti-drug campaign and there was some public service commercials that would come on the air. And you remember there was this one that, that had an egg frying in a pan. And it says, this is your brain on drugs. Remember that? You know, my wife and I, Mia, were, we were reminiscing about those commercials. I mean, even as kids, those commercials were so corny and so ineffective. You know, I remember thinking, well... If drinking kills a few of my brain cells, that's not a big deal. I've, I learned in science that I have 100 billion brain cells, so I can kill a few of them and I'll be just fine. <laughs> Obviously a very misguided view, especially with pot. Pot causes significant brain damage if you're a kid. And, and pot use has been shown to, having long, it's, it's shown to have long-lasting impact on cognitive development. In other words, pot is a self-induced learning disability. The earlier you start, the worse it is. Marijuana, what it does is it causes structural changes to your brain, and, and it literally impacts your, your memory, your learning, your impulse control. And another study found that teens who smoke pot reduced their IQ by six to eight points, and that IQ was not recovered when they came to adulthood. So the damage can be permanent. So teens, you tell me, 
Is it beneficial to give yourself a self-induced learning disability? I don't think so. Now, teen boys, we're going to drill down a little more. Teen boys. Pot use with teen males has been shown to greatly increase the risk of testicular cancer. Now, I don't want any kind of cancer. I especially do not want testicular cancer. So does that sound, does that sound beneficial? I don't think so. Number four, several studies have linked marijuana use to increased risk for psychiatric disorders, including psychosis, like schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, and substance use disorders. So again, tell me, does schizophrenia and depression sound beneficial? I don't think so. Last documented effect, and I put this last because it's, it requires a little more explanation. Contrary to popular belief, marijuana can be addictive. It is addictive. In fact, teens, it's been shown that teens that smart, start smoking pot before 18 are seven times more likely to develop an addiction than adults. And it is an addiction because they have demonstrated that there are withdrawal symptoms when you stop using it, when you're using it consistently. And the science behind addiction is interesting. I don't claim to understand it all, but we have a, a brother in, in our Turning Point Church, uh, David Bruce, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. A lot of you have heard David speak before. He's an expert on addiction. He's an expert on the brain. And he explains it this way, and I'll try to do it justice. But, but there's one part of the brain called the limbic system. And the limbic system is essentially the center of our emotions. So um, it's also our reward center. So the limbic system releases this chemical called dopamine, that you probably heard of, which makes you feel good when you do something worthwhile. That's what it's designed for. God created dopamine. And then there's another part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And that part of the brain is the center of judgment, planning. It's the center of self-control. It's also the spiritual part of your brain. So when you pray or you read the Bible, you connect with God, it's your prefrontal cortex that's being activated. So what happens when you get high is that the limbic system is activated and the prefrontal cortex is shut down. So as you get high, the dopamine from the, from the limbic system makes you feel good. And normally, again, you'd have to work or do something worthwhile to earn those good feelings. But with pot, you can get it really easily. And your brain's trained to release that dopamine without doing anything to earn it. Meanwhile, your center of self-control and connection to God is shut down. So here's an analogy that David used for, for what happens when your brain, what happens inside your brain when you're using pot. Your limbic system takes off. Like it's going 110 miles an hour down Sepulveda Boulevard. Imagine. And you're blowing through stoplights and your limbic system's like, woohoo, this is awesome. Blowing through the stoplights, about to hit somebody in the crosswalk. This is amazing. And you're weaving around cars, what a rush. And your prefrontal cortex is supposed to be warning you that there is danger. <laughs> but it's completely turned off. An addiction is like a cop pulling you over for driving 110 miles an hour down Sepulveda Boulevard. And rather than arresting you, which you should do, the cop writes you a $500 check, a reward for doing what you're doing. Because with drug use, your brain actually rewards you for dangerous behavior. And inside your brain, your dopamine levels are skyrocketing and you're, you're temporarily feeling amazing and the prefrontal cortex isn't able to police your behavior. That's the madness of what's going on in your brain with addiction. And again, it's been shown, it's been proven. An addict has been mastered by their drug of choice. And the scripture we just said, we read, said that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be mastered by anything. 
You know, Jesus commanded us that, that we need to love God with all of our hearts, our soul, our strength, and our mind. But, but an addict can't love God with all of his or her mind because the mind has been hijacked. An addict does not think like a normal person thinks. And there's a book called Some Sat in Darkness. Those of you that have been part of our chemical recovery ministry have probably read that book. But one of the authors, Declan Joyce, describes some of the messed up things that an addict thinks. They think, I'm not responsible for this. It's not my decisions that cause this. This is a disease. I inherited this disease. Or they might think, you know, I can stop whenever I want to. This is not a big deal. The classic denial, right? Or they can say, you know, I have a unique situation and you just don't understand me. You haven't walked in my shoes. You don't know why I do this. Or they might say, hey, look, I've got a steady job. My family, doing fine. I don't have a problem. High functioning. You could say, oh, you know, I gave it up a while ago. I'm okay now. I can just use a little bit now and then. It'll be fine. So does that warped mindset of an addict sound beneficial? Blame shifting, lying to yourself and others, pride, you know, denial. <laughs> that doesn't sound very beneficial to me. It sounds like you're a slave. It sounds like you've been mastered. And one last thing, you know, some of you might be thinking, especially the teens, you know, I don't smoke anything. I vape it. E-cigarettes are becoming all the rage. They allow you to inhale this, uh, this uh, chemical-filled water vapor that basically can have any flavor you'd like. I guess there's coffee flavors, there's mint, there's, there's candy, there's fruit flavors. And according to the FDA, there are more than 3 million middle school and high school students that are using e-cigarettes in 2015, and that's up from 2.5 million the year before. So the use is growing. Last year, the University of Michigan did a study of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders who vape. And it's clear that most teens have no clue what they're actually inhaling. 65% of them said, I'm just inhaling flavoring. That's it. Just flavored, flavored water. That's it. 20% said they knew they were vaping nicotine. Only 20% knew that, that they were vaping a, an addictive drug. And then 6% said they were actually vaping marijuana. 6% didn't know what the heck they were vaping. They were just vaping. <laughs> so teens, if you think that vaping is a safe alternative to smoking marijuana or cigarettes, think again. You can see here what the National Institute on Drug Abuse says, and I'll just read it. Although they do not produce tobacco smoke, e-cigarettes still contain nicotine and potentially harmful chemicals. Nicotine is a highly addictive drug, and recent research suggests nicotine exposure may also prime the brain to become addicted to other substances. Also, testing of some e-cigarette products found the vapor to contain known carcinogens. What's a carcinogen? It causes cancer, right? And toxic chemicals such as formaldehyde and whatever that is, as well as potentially toxic nanoparticles from the vaporizing mechanism. Do you really want to get addicted to a vapor device that's pumping carcinogens into your body? Does that sound beneficial? I don't think so. Why would you want to be mastered by vaping or by marijuana or any other drug, especially when God offers you such a better path to real fulfillment and real happiness? And that leads me to my third and final question. What is this higher calling? You know, we live in a fallen world, don't we? I mean, living here... <laughs> Living here on earth can be hard. I know, I know that. And, and even though we're in the richest country in the world and we have all the freedoms that we have, it can still be very difficult to live here. And God didn't want it to be that way in the beginning. 
Go back and read the book of Genesis. God wanted us to be in paradise, in a garden of paradise with him. But man and woman thought they knew better. You know the story of Adam and Eve, and in their sinful state, God removed man and woman from his presence. And life outside of the presence of God is very dark. And when I just reflect on what I'm like without God, it's not a pretty picture. You know, I, I have a dark side, like all of us do. I have a dark side that, that can take over. And when I'm, when I'm not living with God, I'm a very bitter person. And I have a lot of hatred. Hatred is in my sinful nature. Without God, I get sad. I get depressed. Without God, I'm very anxious and worried, constantly worried. Without God, I can be a very cruel person. You know, I, I have very little compassion for those who are hurting. And perhaps more than anything, without God, I feel powerless. I'm, I feel powerless. I know that I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is not right, but I feel powerless to change. And the Apostle Paul describes very well how it feels to be powerless. In Romans 7, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So Paul explains that even if you have the desire to do what is good, you can't carry it out because sin is living in you and, and, and you're a slave to it and you, and you have to live in darkness and pain without God. Uh, drugs may give you a temporary relief from your pain for a few hours, but when you sober up, the pain's even more intense. And God understands how powerless we really are to change on our own. So God, having created us, knows exactly what we need. And he gives us a perfect remedy. God graciously gives us a higher calling than you'll ever get through drugs or alcohol or anything else. And Paul tells us in Romans 7, a few verses later, he says, what a wretched man I am. This is coming from Paul. Paul was pretty awesome, but he knew his sinful nature. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, the very best news you could ever receive is this, that Jesus came to rescue you from death. And only Jesus can deliver you from that empty way of life because he offers to forgive you to forgive your sins. And through his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. And what that means is you can be back in the presence of God for all eternity. The Father will remember your sins no more. And my friends, Jesus offers you true hope and fulfillment that you'll never get through marijuana or any other drug. And Jesus still stands today with that same promise for you, a hope for a new life that's free from slavery and idolatry of drugs. That's the higher calling. And when you really have faith in Jesus, you can turn away from your sins. And that's called repentance, turning away from your sins. And the Bible says that when you're buried in the waters of baptism, you die to your sinful self. And when you arise, you're a totally new creation. The Bible says you're clothed in Christ. And it's then that you receive a gift. You, you receive something called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit literally gives you a divine nature through which you can escape the corruption 
and the sin of the world. And with the Holy Spirit on your side, you can overcome drug addiction or any other sin. Galatians 5.22 tells us how the Holy Spirit is evident in our lives. It makes us a totally new creation. And I was just reflecting, it's amazing how as I think how I am and who we are without God, the fruit of the Spirit is the exact opposite. God gives us the perfect remedy with the Holy Spirit. Rather than being bitter and hate, hateful, the Holy Spirit gives us love. Rather than being sad and depressed, the Holy Spirit gives us joy. Rather than being anxious and worried, the Holy Spirit gives us peace and patience. Rather than being cruel, the Holy Spirit gives us kindness, goodness, gentleness, and not powerless, but having self-control. It's the perfect remedy. And, and all of us, all of us are looking for rest from our burdens, aren't we? In some way, you're going to look for rest. Rest from our pain. And if you're trying to find rest for anything or from every, anything besides Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. And, and I wish I could say, folks, that I've continually found perfect joy through Jesus my whole Christian life. But there have been times when, when I have temporarily lost, temporarily lost touch with, with that, with what I have through Jesus and what, what he's done for me. Times when I felt like, in retrospect, I quenched the Holy Spirit. And in those times, you know, what I do is I slip back into seeking fulfillment from other things. And, and to my shame, you know, in my corporate career, there were even times when I returned to alcohol. Uh, to self-medicate, in essence, my own anxiety and my own fears. And I sometimes would drink too much at work functions. I didn't mean I was binge drinking, but I would sometimes turn to alcohol to take the edge off my, my anxiety and my insecurity. And that's not right, because that's what Jesus should do. So I've learned to come back to Jesus, and I have to do it. I have to work at it. I have to do it on a daily basis. But I know that there's absolutely nothing better in this life than the promise that I have through him. And so in Matthew 11, as we close out, Jesus calls out to you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're not going to get true rest from pot, even if it's legal. Uh, you won't get it from drinking. You won't get it from drugs. You won't get it from sex or porn. You won't get it from making more money. You won't get it from a better job or a bigger house or a nicer car. Only Jesus will give you true rest for your soul. But Jesus says here that you have to take his yoke upon you. And it's an easy yoke. <laughs> It's a light burden, especially compared to the slavery of other things that we subject ourselves to, like drugs and alcohol. But you do need to humble yourself. You do need to learn from him. And learning from Jesus starts with knowing what he taught. And if you don't know exactly what Jesus taught, and if you, if you want to have that real rest for your soul that he talks about, then please... Sit down with us, schedule an appointment with us, and we'll sit down with you and look at some of the scriptures in the Bible. And, and just ask the person who invited you, come to our guest services booth right outside the auditorium here, and we'll get you hooked up with some people that can do that with you for that personal study of the Bible. And we will show you in the scriptures exactly how you can have that rest and that true fulfillment and comfort that comes from Jesus. So as I close out, 
let's just all be prepared for a world of legalized marijuana, because I think it's going to happen, recreational marijuana. And let's stand out in the dark world by having a spiritual perspective on this elephant in the room. And let's remember that no drug can satisfy what only God can satisfy. Let's remember that even if pot is permissible, it doesn't mean that it's beneficial. It damages your body and your mind, and it ultimately masters you. But most importantly, let's remember that only Jesus can give you that higher calling. Only Jesus can give you real rest for your soul. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.